You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Um, hopefully you've made your way or are making your way to Colossians chapter 1. Um, just a little discretion. I don't necessarily feel like preaching this message this morning. I know that might seem weird to you, and I love the Word of God. I believe the Word of God is inspired, but we're talking about some things that often are uncomfortable or things that we don't like to always hear because what we have often in our walks with God is, um, like Paul said in the end of Romans chapter 7, that we have the flesh within us and the spirit within us, and there is a war waging inside of our own souls. And so even as we are preaching this morning to you that this war is waging within my soul because I know certain things to be true but then there are other things that I feel in my heart and so there's this gap often what is happening um, in my head and what I feel in my heart and oftentimes there is this gap and we all go through those seasons and so this message is is just as much for me as it is for anyone and but but I say that because you're going to feel it too. And that's often what happens. It's not just with today's message, but often what happens is when we sit down and we're in the Word and we're studying the Word of God and we are hearing what God has said, there is part of us, there is the attorney known as the flesh that rises up against us and says, this might be true, but come on, you know how you feel and you put how you feel up against what you know to be true. And the Spirit says, no, forget how you feel. Your feelings have misled you time and time again. You know this to be true and the Word of God is testifying that this is true through the Holy Spirit. And so there's going to be this, this kind of war that is waging within every single one of our beings. And so just know that um, that is taking place. And so um, as we approach, and you're like, why is he saying all this? Well, well we're studying one verse today. We're, we're going to make it all the way through one verse today. Um, it's going to be verse 24 of Colossians chapter 1. And let's stand for the reading of the word of God. And you will understand why. I have said what I've said about this war waging within our souls. Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. And Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, those of us who don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and and powers and things that are above even what we see with the physical eye, that, that we are a spiritual being who lives in this physical body and we are in fact at war and not only is there a spiritual war outside of us that is happening but there is a war with inside of us and as we go through sufferings and as we go through hard times and as we experience some things in our life that that is painful or that is hard to swallow and we know it to be true but what we believe in our heart are or what we feel in our heart are often two different things. Oh God, would you take all of these things and by your word reconcile these truths so that we would come to be better worshipers of you, that we would be transformed by your grace and that we would be renewed this morning by you. And so Jesus, would you help me to be faithful to what you have said in the scriptures Would you help us to receive what you would have for us in this message this morning? And ultimately, would you use it to shape and mold us? Because there are those this morning that are here that are struggling, that are suffering, that are going through affliction. And God, would you make sense to all the things that they're going through in their life? Would you make sense of what you're doing in their season of where they're at through their word and not make sense of it in the sense of we would know why, but we would know who is in control. And and for those of us who, you know what, God, maybe we are in a season where things are going well. 
when things are going incredibly smooth and this message might not seem fit for our lives at this moment, I pray that that what we learn today out of verse 24 would be used to be written on our hearts, to renew our minds, to prepare us for the day when, when, God, when you appoint a season of suffering to us. So by your Holy Spirit, Jesus, would you be glorified? Would our joy be full this morning, no matter what we are going through? We all pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Last week, the Apostle Paul took our self-esteem to the fire, to the woodshed, if you will. The Bible can care less about how we view ourselves in light of our goodness because more often than not, without Christ or before Christ, when we look at our own lives, we kind of sugarcoat it. I'm not that bad. I didn't really do that many bad things. I'm not that sinful. I'm I'm not that, that, that wicked. But Paul, last week in our text from verses 21 to verses 23, makes the argument, no, you're not as good as you think you, you, you were. Because sin has alienated you. And because you've been alienated from God, you have become hostile in my towards him and because you are hostile in your mind you've begun to do or you have been doing evil deeds and because we have been alienated from God we have fallen short of the glory of God which is really Romans chapter 23 and so we talked about and we got to do this we have to talk about these things before we get into our text because we can just read one verse and not remember the context of what's happening around it so um, again though what Paul was saying last week is um, in Romans we talk about Romans 3 that we've fallen short of the glory of God so not only do we have to wrestle with the idea that we are sinners that we are sinful people, but that because we are sinful people, that because we sin, we have fallen short of the glory of God. And much like my four-year-old at Disneyland who wants to go on Space Mountain is unable because the ride attendant there checking his height says, you've fallen short. You are too short to go on the ride. And you know what he does? Well, we all do is even within Christianity. Yes, we've been forgiven, but in order so we fall short less, so we're not falling as short as though we once were, we try within our own obedience and our own morality to stand up high enough for approval of God's glory, as though somehow our morality, our obedience, makes God approve of us more. And it's very subtle, this this moralism. But this is not the case at all. Because there's nothing we can do within our own strength to measure up to the standard of God's glory, of God's holy perfection. So then what? Well, there's bad news. We are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. But verse 22, he has now reconciled you that God in his mercy has poured out his blood on a cross and he's bought you, he has reconciled you, he has taken you with all of your sin and substitutes himself on our cross for our sins and in exchange gives us his righteousness and that God is reconciling you now. Now, like right now, where you're sitting in your chair at this present moment, God is doing the work of reconciliation within your soul. Isn't that awesome? That the gospel is ever alive, ever active, nothing we ever move beyond, but something we always grow further and deeper into. And so Jesus, who never sinned, never lusted, never hated, never stole, never lied, becomes our sin and shows us through the cross, because the cross screams our need for a Savior. And the radicality of the cross shows the depravity of our sinful state. And unless we 
understand and begin to grasp our desperation and our sinful state, then the cross won't seem that glorious. But the more we believe our, of who we once were, alienated to God, the more glorious the deliverance there is to be found in Christ. Because there's no need for a savior if we are not sinful, helpless people. And so reconciliation, like we said, is not morality. It is not do this for God and then God will give this to you. If you obey, then God will approve of you. Then God will love you. That's not good news. That is conditional love. But we know obedience flows from love. So now, with all of those things, we come to verse 24, this packed and this loaded verse. But we have to, again, step back before we just jump right into it because there is a canvas that is being painted here of, of, of the truth of who God is that we need to make sure we understand. You know, like when you're walking down on Ali'i Drive and you're going in and you see some of the artists there that are creating this beautiful picture, often what happens is my kids will walk up and they'll just look really close to where the artist is painting and so they'll get caught up in the details. Like, well, what are you painting? Well, if you step back and look at the whole canvas, you can actually see the work that, 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 the, that the creator of that canvas is doing. And so often what happens is when we take the pace we're going through in Colossians, we get caught up in what's happening specifically within one verse, but we need, again, need to step back and look at really the collective work of Christ in everything because, well, that's what Colossians is all about. That is why we are going through this book and why we've called our study through this Christ in everything. Because not only is the gospel massive, but the gospel is intentional and specific. And what we need to see here is this progression of the gospel at work from broad to specific. So look at verse 15 through 17. You can read it later, but um, the gospel is so massive that creation will be redeemed by the gospel. That, that all of creation itself, by the blood and the work of Jesus Christ, God will take all that is broken in creation and make it right. Isn't that ridiculous? That the cosmos, like stars, galaxies, universes, all that is broken, God is going to make right. And so for Father's Day, um, uh, we and a few other people went up to Mauna Kea and... Um, it was, you know, beautiful going up there to Mauna Kea and so, you know, watching the sunset and then staying out um, until uh, the evening. And then, of course, you know, do you ever see more stars in your life than when you're there? Um, it's so incredible to gaze up in the stars and even roll out these telescopes for you. And you can look in these telescopes and you can see, you know, this, the star. I mean, I don't even know what it means, but it's like 350 billion light years away. It's like, whoa, that's amazing. And it makes you feel small. And yet at the same time, and I was even thinking about it, God, that star that I'm looking at in this telescope that is light years away that I could never reach in my lifetime at so far away, you are going to mend that brokenness along with the brokenness creation of this world and take all of these things and make it right once again. That is how big the gospel is. And that's what verse 24, or verse, rather, uh, 15 through 17 talks about. So the gospel is redeeming creation, but then verses um, 18 through 20, uh, we look at that the gospel and Christ's supremacy is over the church, that Jesus isn't just supreme over the cosmos, Jesus is supreme over his church, which means that Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the senior pastor. I'm not the senior pastor. The other pastors aren't exclusively leading this church. We are all in submission to Christ, who is the head. So we can never be about just building the kingdom of Shorebreak, but building the kingdom of God. Because this is his church, and there is one church, the church. So Christ is supreme over creation. He is supreme over his church. Verses 21 through 23, you can read, even when it comes to the Colossians as individuals, Jesus is reconciling them. And he is reconciling us. 
So broad, becoming more specific. There's no doubt that Christ is in everything. So not only is Jesus supreme over all creation, not only is Jesus supreme and preeminent above his church, not only is Jesus preeminent in our own redemption, but Jesus is supreme and preeminent in our sufferings. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And in the flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul here gets very personal. And that's because Jesus is a personal God. If we are to say we are Christians, we do not have a platonic relationship with God where we know him at a distance, but we know him personally. We know him intimately. We love him deeply because he loves us. And there's nowhere you can run in life from the supremacy and the preeminence of Christ, even, even in suffering, which is incredible. And so Paul, for him, suffering is worth getting Jesus. He is willing to give his life. He is willing to be beaten. He is willing to die and suffer for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel. And so Paul says at the beginning of verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. Weird, I know. So strange. And that's where that war again, we were talking about before we got into it, is taking place within us. Because yes, part of us is like, absolutely, yes, Jesus, rejoice in you in sufferings. And then there's the other side of our life, like, no, that's not, that's, they have special places for people like that, you know? Like, that, that doesn't make sense. Rejoice in suffering, rejoice in hardship, rejoice in affliction. Why? In fact, even right now, in some of the seasons of my own life that I'm going through, I don't want to. Honestly, I, I'm being honest, I don't. Because there is this flesh waging war against the spirit, and then the spirit is waging war against the flesh. Oh, wretched man that I am. But we find this theme saturated throughout the Bible, which we're going to get there next week, which doesn't, like, how does the prosperity come from the scriptures? I, I don't understand, because suffering is so saturated and woven throughout everything. I mean, that's why James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. So what does this mean? What is all this about rejoicing in suffering, count it all joy? Isn't that interesting that we are to count it all joy in trials? Because when I'm in a trial, I'm counting all the things that are going wrong. I'm not counting the things that are to be joyful about in trials. You with me on that? Okay, I guess I'm the only one, apparently. Well, pray for me. But what does this mean then? What does this mean in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our affliction for Christ? That somewhere in the midst of suffering and affliction, there is joy to be had that you could not have in Christ if it wasn't for suffering. And affliction. Like I said, not the most pleasant thing to hear. This goes against everything, our li- the way we want to live our lives. This goes against everything, the decisions we make. This goes against everything culture tells us because convenience and comfort are worshipped. And I'm not just saying of the world, all those out there, oh, you know, all of them. No, no, no. Convenience is worshipped even within the church. And 
you know, uh, there was someone that, you know, we, someone was having a conversation with in the church that's, you know, you know, oh, so what brought you to shore break? Someone said the air conditioning. I'm not even kidding. Now, you know, AC is great. It's a blessing from God, no doubt. We have had the AC break down in the middle of a service, and it's awkward. It's, we're all just like, woohoo! You know, I'm going to have to get like one of those preaching cloths and start wiping myself down when the AC, when the AC goes out. But, but we, we love convenience. Even as Christians, we love convenience, and we love comfort. But you don't need me to tell you that. Just look at the facts. Like the fact that cars have leather seats, but not just leather seats, but heated leather seats. You know, I, I um, before we moved here, put our roots down in Kona, and and our were part of Shorebreak. Um, I lived in Montana. Some of you know this for a few years, though I'm originally from Southern California. And so, uh, Montana, you know, heated leather seats kind of made sense. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they kind of did. Now, even then, it's a nice comfort that we get a little bit spoiled with of having heated leather seats because people in Montana a hundred years ago riding on horses in like negative twenty. You know, but I will never forget. I was having a conversation with a friend. He just like, you know, we're talking and he pulls up with his new car and it's got like this sweet paint job, really nice leather seats. And he's showing me all these amazing characteristics in the car. He's like, oh, and dude, check it out. It's got heated leather seats. Bro, we live in Hawaii. Like it doesn't matter, right? He's like, oh, you know, I might need it when I go to Mauna Kea. Your car is de-thawing when it goes up to Mauna Kea. It's still warm by the time you're at the top because it's like 80 down here. It's like 30 up there. You don't need heated leather seats, but yet we love our comfort and we love worship. Now, if you have heated leather seats, again, I'm not hitting on you, okay? We're, 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 we're you know, it might be a different income bracket than, than some of us, but not hitting on you. But, but all that to say, comfort is something we, we worship, we, we love, and you know, just the fact that we have premium toilet paper makes my case in point perfect. Premium toilet paper. Premium. You know where it's going, right? Does it need to be premium? And, and you know, and there's, there's friends of mine that say, I only, and again, if you buy premium, I'm happy for you. I really am. I'm not, you can keep your premium. But like, you know, our great-great-grandfathers were wiping with sandpaper, you know? So what we're using today is nothing in comparison to, 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 to what we're using then. But, but we love comfort, and so we'll pay double than what we, is necessary just so we can enjoy our comfort. It's true. In fact, just uh, several weeks ago, I, I remember um, this to be true in my own life. I love those, you know, heated burritos that you throw in the microwave, and like a minute and a half later, they're done. And it's just you get it, convenience, right? Just comfort, convenience, there it is. Well, we got these new ones, and there's these little bit bigger chimichanga ones, and I was super hungry, and I was in a rush to, to leave the house. And so I, I, you know, put it in there, a uh, minute and a half into it, it's done, bings, you know, going to cut it open, and it's frozen still. I'm like, what the heck? My burrito is frozen. And I got all angry, and I I'll go find the wrapper, and it says three minutes. I'm like, are you kidding me? Three minutes? What about a minute and a half? And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where have I gone wrong in my heart that I'm getting upset that it's taking, you know, 90 more seconds to heat it up in the microwave than it, than it would normally? But, but I worship convenience, and I worship comfort. And Christians are just as guilty of, is it, guilty of it as the rest of the world often, not always, because we love comfort and convenience, comfort is our God. And the reason why we don't like verses like 24 often is because what happens when suffering comes is it reveals that our God is failing us. That God will often appoint suffering in your life to knock over the gods of comfort that you've built. Suffering God, really? I didn't see that one coming. I didn't like that. Let me count all the reasons why I'm frustrated at where I'm at in life right now. No, no, no. Count it all joy, brothers. Count it all joy. And because comfort is our God, often comfort is worshipped. We avoid suffering at all costs. And because of it, ironically, we are more miserable than ever before. That's what Paul says. 
outrageous things like verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings. Who says that? That's why Paul can say outrageous things like Philippians 1.21, my favorite verse. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul's perspective on life and suffering is so much that in death, all that he has to lose is corruption. All that he has to lose is sin. And in death, all that he has to gain is eternity with Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die, oh, I'm not losing anything in death. I am only gaining And it's with this eternal perspective, we can better understand why Paul says, I, personally, I rejoice in my sufferings. And when Paul says suffering, it's not like, someone called me a bad name. They said, your your faith is stupid. You know, it's not, not, not that way at all. Now, that's not to say that you haven't dealt with that or you will d- deal with that. There are consequences for following God. There is suffering, especially today in the climate culturally that's taking place in the shift of even what people believe and where we are going. There is no doubt shifts that are taking place. But, you know, we, we, we face persecution and suffering. I mean, you know, you, you, don't, you don't lie at work. You have good business, business ethics because of what you believe. Now, while other people are doing the things and cutting corners that, that, that they do, you can't do that because of it, and you suffer. Maybe it be financially, maybe you suffer from even a promotion because you aren't meeting all the obligations, even though some of them might be illegal. Or friendships. You've suffered friendships, and there are people today that you just... You love them and you want to talk to them, but they will not talk to you because of what you believe about Jesus and the work that Christ has done in you. So there is suffering. But when Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering, he's not talking about just kind of some persecution here. You can turn there later, but Paul just unloads. He just digresses in 2 Corinthians 11. Um, and I'm just going to read part of it to you. It's kind of Paul's unloading to the Corinthian church of all that he has suffered on behalf of the church. And he says this, 2 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 24. Here's Paul's suffering. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less than one. Okay, so 40 lashes less than one is near death. And it didn't happen once. It didn't happen twice. Five, five times. He was received at the hand of the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And no, that's not the stone he's talking about here, okay? Like stone with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. If a plane goes down and I'm in it and I survive, I'm never getting on a plane again, okay? Three times Paul is is shipwrecked. (laughs) And at night and... And a day, I was adrift at sea, frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people. This guy's got it rough. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, and in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and in thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. Wow, that guy's got a resume rolling there, doesn't he? Like, he goes, he's on a ship to preach the gospel, the ship sinks, he has to swim for dear life, gets on the land, preaches the gospel to the people that are there on this island, and then as he's preaching the gospel, gets bitten by a poisonous snake. At what point are you like, come on God, I'm done, what am I doing wrong? But God appointed all of that suffering. Now, how many times, how many times was comfort mentioned there? Danger, if you're taking notes, was mentioned eight times in that text. Eight. And that's leaving out words like toil, thirst, hardship, sleepless nights, pressure. 
And so the Colossians from this letter and those of us Christians today are to learn this from Paul. Jesus is to be preeminent and supreme even above our own comfort. Even if it means suffering. Because living for Christ is a life worth suffering. And so Paul says, now I rejoice. Paul had some pretty good reasons not to rejoice, right? I mean, amen to that. (laughs) And I'm not about to pretend that bad things haven't happened to you in your life. That horrible sins have been committed against you and that you have committed horrible sins. And you might have some legit reasons, maybe even with present or past suffering, for you not to rejoice. And let me tell you, there will always be a reason to find. And always, there will always be an excuse for you to not rejoice. And when we only look to our troubles and not our Savior, we become weak at rejoicing. But that is not what Paul is doing here. In verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice. Now, at this present moment, right where I am currently at in life, right where God has placed me, I am rejoicing. And Paul is writing this letter to the, to the Colossians in a prison cell with shackles around his hands and his feet. But he still says, now I rejoice. In this present moment, he is rejoicing. And no matter where you are at, that no matter how difficult, no matter how your plans have been changed or the things that you would once hope for have not come yet. In fact, things have gone in the other direction. No matter how much your present life has let you down, if you are in Christ, your sins are forgiven, your debt has been paid, your wrong has been deleted, you've been given new life, and this momentary pain is nothing in comparison to the eternal life that you will soon have with Christ for all eternity. Let us be a people who are eternally minded. Oh, let us be a people that we would rejoice even when we don't feel like it. And you know, from your own experience, there are times when you do not feel like rejoicing. But we rejoice. Because God appoints these seasons. It may be because of your own consequence, the things that you've done, decisions that you've made, or, or it may be because of the fact that, that God has just simply appointed that. And again, there are pastors who will say, oh, you're in suffering. Well, there's some area of sin in your life that you need to be delivered from or something that's going wrong that needs to be made right. No, I mean, I don't see that in the scriptures. You have Moses, who is outcast in the desert from where he was raged in his homeland of Egypt. God appointed the desert season for him. You have David, who is told by the prophet Samuel with his dad Jesse standing there, you're going to become the, the king of Israel. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then he's running for his life from his crazy father-in-law, Saul, who wants to kill him. And then many people leave this part out. Then David becomes king, and there is rape that happens in his own household. That's off. That, you don't read that in the headlines, but it's in Scripture. And David runs from his own throne that he was king of for a season. I mean, you even have Jesus in the desert. The moment he has this incredible spiritual moment where God opens up the heavens, the Holy Spirit comes down and anoints Jesus to do the work of ministry, is immediately into the desert for 40 days, starving to death. But you can rejoice in your suffering. 
you can rejoice. I just want to let you guys know. I just had to say that as a little rabbit trail there, but just be very careful of what you think about where you're at in life and what others are telling you about your suffering. Um, Verse 24, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Suffering on the behalf of the Colossians and the church at large for Jesus Christ. And he says this interesting thing here that is often misunderstood. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Now, what many people say about that verse, in fact, many cults will use this verse saying, see, the Bible is declaring, the Bible says that, that, that in the work that Christ has done, there is something lacking, that there is something we need to make up for, there is something we need to do on our part to complete the work that God has done. You tracking with me? So um, I'm doing yard work with my kids a few weeks ago. And, you know, we got this stupid hedge, bougainvilleas. I wish God killed them when sin fell. But they're, they're still alive and well in creation today. And so I'm trimming this, this thing in, in, in the front yard. And it's just there. And it's just growing. And I do all this work. I'm getting poked by it. And even weeks later, pulling thorns out from my flesh, still from it. Um, and, and so, and I'm there and I'm doing all this work and my kids like help at the beginning and once they realize it gets hard and they're younger, they're kind of like, oh, I got to get water and they don't come back for like another hour, you know? And so um, I'm pretty much done with the whole project. There's a leaf lying on the ground and then my kid like puts on his glove, grabs the leaf, puts it in the trash. Dad, I did a good job, didn't I? Yes, son, you did such a good job. You completed everything. You, you finished the work that I had done. And it's, you know, funny, but it's true. And that's, Often our perspective with our Heavenly Father, God has done this work, done it completely for us. We have no part in it, and then yet we come alongside, like, but God, there's something lacking that I need to add, something that I need to do to the atonement. No, no, there's not at all. So then what is Paul saying here? Well, what isn't being said here is that Jesus' work upon the cross is incomplete, and that somehow we need to, within our own lives, make up what is lacking in Christ's redemptive work. Lacking in affliction, to be clear, there is no lacking in, in affliction. Because if this was the case, then Paul would be contradicting himself in verse 22. And this statement of lacking in affliction would contradict the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ declares, it is finished. Not Somewhat finished, but there are things that you need to tie up. There are loose ends that you need to make right. No, it is completely, entirely, altogether finished. So is he contradicting himself? No, absolutely not. And the scriptures cannot contradict themselves because the scriptures are the word of God. And because the scriptures is the very word of God, God in his nature is truth and he is just. And because God is true and unjust, God is unable to contradict himself. So then what is Paul saying here? When he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. What is he saying here? When we suffer for Jesus, when Jesus is supreme above our own comfort and when our love for Jesus and affection grows all the stronger and our love for this world grows all the weaker, what is happening here with this verse is this, that God is displaying the way Jesus loves this world world in and through our affliction. God is displaying the way Jesus loves this world through Jesus' affliction by us experiencing the affliction Christ experienced. That God is using our suffering to show this world that there is nothing more valuable in this world than Jesus. Nothing to be more preeminent. Nothing to be more supreme than Jesus. And suffering is the tool and the thing that God often ordains in our life to show a lost world. It's not about what we have, but it's it's about whose we are. 
In fact, Jesus was having a conversation. They were talk, he was talking story with the disciples, John 15. He's like, hey, I'm abiding in you, and as you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit, which means your life is going to be grand. Your life is going to be beautiful. Your gr- life is going to have an aroma that is going to swell, smell beautiful to those who are around you, and it's going to be beautiful to behold and to see because I am abiding in you, and you are abiding in me, and things are going to go well. Yet we read in John 15, 20, Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If you keep my word, they will also keep yours. So Jesus says, hey, 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 hey. In the midst of you bearing fruit, in the midst of you growing, in the midst of things going well, don't forget. Remember Remember, remember that they persecuted me. They're going to persecute you. So what Jesus is saying here is they didn't like me. They didn't like what I have to say. They didn't like what I believed. So they're not going to like you. They're not going to like what you have to say. They're not going to like what you believe. And they hated me. And you follow me. What makes you think they're not going to hate you? What makes you think you're not going to have to suffer on my behalf? That what is lacking within our own flesh, that Christ's affliction in what is lacking in our own flesh would show that no matter how comfortable we are, that even if those comforts are taken away, that Christ can be supreme in all things. And so Jesus is preeminent. All creation will be redeemed. Jesus is the head of the church. Not only is he head of the church, but Jesus is supreme over our redemptive life. And Jesus is supreme even in our sufferings. As we begin to wrap up this message, I want you guys to turn to Romans chapter 5 in closing. Turn to Romans 5 in closing. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. Hopefully you guys are in Romans 5. Therefore, verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, the redemptive work of Christ, the work of reconciliation, justification, to stand before God with Christ's righteousness, we have peace through God our Lord Jesus Christ. Awesome. Peace, yes and amen. Through him, who we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and in which we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so here we have in these first couple of verses, we have been justified, we have been brought before God in faith, and so we can hope in the glory of God. And in that we rejoice, in that we celebrate, in that we party. It's amazing, awesome, so great, so wonderful. Yet in verse three, we read, more than that, circle that, underline that, write that down. More than that, we rejoice in what? In in, in prosperity? And things going well? More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom has given, been given to us. For believers in Christ, we have to understand that in our suffering, we are being shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. And suffering has a way of burning away the residual things that do not glorify God in our life. But your suffering isn't purposeless. 
Now, God is awesome. I mean, God is good. And, and, and when people see our lives and see the good things that are happening in our life, of course they're going to say, you declare that God is good. Because you're comfortable. Because things are going well. Because life is pretty convenient right now. Easy for you to say that God is good. But Paul, but Paul says in Romans 5, not only do we rejoice in the redemptive work of receiving peace in Christ, but we rejoice in our sufferings, which means not only do we rejoice when we get the raise, when we get the house, when uh, things are going smooth, but when things are taken away from us, that is when rejoicing is all the more true. Because... A lost world cannot make sense of us praising God who takes things away from us. But we can. Because we can agree with Job 121. Naked I came into my mother's womb. Naked shall I go. go. The Lord gives. The Lord is taken away. And all this, blessed be the name Lord. Praise his name. Now I rejoice my sufferings. Our suffering shapes endurance according to Romans 5 which shapes our character which shapes in the end hope and glory in God. So in closing, I want to tell you this. There is no suffering God has appointed to your life that God will not see you through. And even if you don't feel like it right now, even if it doesn't make sense right now, even if you don't feel God's presence, there is no present suffering, past suffering, or future suffering you will go through that that he will not see you through. So let us be a people who glorify God with much. And let us be a people who glorify God with little. So that the world would see that Christ is supreme. That Christ is preeminent even when we suffer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that your love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that you've given us. That Holy Spirit, you can take all these truths of Romans 5 and Job 1.21 and ultimately Colossians 1. 24, that we would see you preeminent, God, that even I would see you preeminent when everything seems to be going the way that I had not planned it, when things are taken away, when things are removed, when suffering comes knocking on our door. Christ, would you be preeminent? It's easy, God, to worship you when the sun is out, but when the storm comes, Lord, may we be a people who rejoice nonetheless. Blessed be your name, O Lord. And may the lost people in Kona, on the island, whether it be our friends, whether it be our family, whether it be these different people that we know, that we encounter in life, that when the boss makes fun of us, when friends make us to be outcasts, when financially we come upon hard times, or when all together life crumbles before our very eyes, we would still rejoice so that the world would know that Christianity is not about getting Jesus plus stuff, but that Christianity is Jesus and Jesus, and that's it. 
Oh, Jesus, that you would be the goal. Oh, Jesus, that you would be our pursuit. Oh, Jesus, you would be all that we would worship, that all that our hearts would long for and all that we would pursue and that all these other things that we like and that we go after in life would all just be things that would be tools that we would use to ultimately make much of your name. So thank you, God, that you have poured out your love to us by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you pour out your love this morning upon those who are suffering, those who are going through seasons of dryness. And for those who are not, may you prepare them for the seasons that, you, that they will eventually go through in the future. Would you prepare them to be ready to stand alongside other brothers and sisters in the Lord for when they go, even if it's not them, but when others go through it. That while our soul may cry, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so despaired within me? We can, our hearts can cry, hope in God. God, if there is hope, to be found in you. So Jesus, thank you that you are our hope, that you are our life. May you be supreme in our church, in Kona, but also in our lives individually, even as we suffer. So thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.